On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Queensryche's Promised Land. Welcome to Progressive Polaro, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Polaro, I'm joined by my very good friends, Tom Corcoran, Paul Zotter, and Ken Gregory, as we continue on to the end of the core sequence of Queensryche with Promised Land. All right, gentlemen, here we are talking promised land. I tease this as the end of the core sequence as we here at the Palaver have described it for Queensryche. I think after this album, you know, the band starts going in different directions and different times and different ways. But I think for me personally, um, you know, this is very much on trend with everything we've done so far. And you know, I, while sadly, as we've mentioned, there are no Queensryche albums in 1001 albums you must hear before you die. Um, I, I think Promised Land personally is a huge sleeper. It's something that I maybe didn't give proper regard to, you know, when it came out and perhaps for a lot of years. And I knew I liked it. I, I've never not liked it. But as we started, as I started listening to it, as we were coming into, you know, preparing for this Queensryche segment, I was just quite frankly, happily stunned by how delicious this record really is. It, it really is. Actually, if I could um, interject something, um, I want to flip the script for a second. Mm. Um, you guys on the uh, last two had little stories of me when we first started listening to Operation Minecraft and Empire, I actually have a Joe story um, about Promised Land that um, sort of kicked me in the pants and got me into into this. Yeah, Joe. First of all, I'm I'm with you. Um, I, I in some ways I've been looking more forward to this than than even Empire because I've been I've listened to this consistently more than probably Empire, and uh, there's just some things on here that I'm just in total love with, and it's just kept me going over the years. It's been consistent. And every couple of years I pop it in, I'm like, wow, I still like this, and it seemed even, uh, you know, the songs really get get better. Um, but there's a story that I like to tell when we were, when this first came out, you know, what, 94, whatever it was, we went on one of our get-togethers. And this get together was in Nashville. And you know, Joe drove from Texas and a bunch of us, you know, Ken, Paul, and whoever else was with us, we drove from um, Philadelphia and we met in Nashville. So we drive, you know, for those of us who drove from Philadelphia, we drive, drive this whole thing. And we meet at this godforsaken hole in the wall, uh, motel. 
this flea infested cockroach, you know, whatever it is, whatever seedy place it was. And like, we're all stuffed in there. We, we all just sort of, you know, is that the year of the bathroom, the, the like humid bathroom. Yeah. The humid bathroom. Oh my God. I, I, I believe so. So, you know, after like a 24 hour, you know, car <laughs> ride, what's the first thing we do? Well, we start talking about Queensryche. <laughs> well, why would you not? Yeah. I mean, you get up a 24 hour, you know, drive and we start talking about Queensryche. No, I, I must have been, uh, so, so Joe had just finished seeing Promised Land, the uh, Queensryche and Promised Land tour. Yep. Uh, a concert. And Joe was so jazzed about this concert. It was like the first thing out of his mouth. Like, I remember him sitting on the bed and he was just so excited. He was really, really descriptive about the concert. And I was in sort of one of my heightened, you know, arrogant periods, which <laughs> I, I was like, wow, like, I can't believe Joe, you know, like, went to see, you know, Queensryche at this age. It's so 80s, you know, or whatever. I, I was like, I just had one of these, you know, it was one of my weird things. I'm sure you guys. Know what I'm talking about, and so I, I just was like, God, you know, I can't. This really sounds good, but I, I'm like, I still was like, you know, I, I just, I, I don't. I, just, I wonder if he's, you know, not embellishing this, or you know, it just, it just sounds too good to be true. Because like, Joe, you were really excited about this tour, and I, I'd never heard. I actually, I actually remember this show. That's how excited I was. You, you were, you were really excited. So. I was like, wow, you know, you know, that's maybe I should, you know, uh, give it, give it another listen. At, to this point, I had listened to Promised Land and, uh, I was sort of in between. I wasn't totally on board. There were a couple things I liked, but, you know, I, I think with most of us, it, it took a little while to like fully get on board with it because it was, you know, so drastic to the other albums. So, uh, what Joe had, had said sort of stuck to me. And when I got back to Boston, my uh, business partner in the studio I had uh, had an extra ticket for Queensryche. He said, Tom, you want to go to Queensryche? I'm like, sure. And I have to say, Joe, you were spot on, man. Th th this was actually one of the best concerts I'd ever seen. Um, still, when I go on YouTube and I watch some of the footage from it and, you know, in particular, the song Promised Land, it just gives me goosebumps. Like, I, I'm like, I just, it's, I, it's, I can't, I cannot say enough about, um, this tour in particular and just the multimedia presentation, the, the, this, the profound subject matter and just the whole, I'm, I'm a big sucker for dramatics. I'm a, you know, also a big, our main fans, I'm, I'm, I love all the sort of dramatics that, you know, people like Bruce Dickinson, you know, put into the shows and, 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 um, Jeff Tate is, you know, at the top of his game with all this. And they had really put together a really good stage show. And maybe we'll get into it later, but trying to be broad about it. But, um, I left there just saying to myself, wow, they, Queensrack really took, you know, the live thing to another level. And I, and that's after live crowd. I mean, that's like, that was yeah. another level. And so, um, I, um, any eye rolling I did, uh, in front of you, Joe, if you, if you caught it, I apologize. You were, uh, 
you, everything that you were saying was spot on, and I, I, I sorry, I, I, I doubted you. Um, <laughs> if, uh, if you, if you uh, caught, caught that, but uh, I'm, it I'm sure I didn't. Was, and so, uh, an addendum to this, and, and uh, Paul will probably throw it in. But I guess I, I talked so much about this show afterward. And then when <laughs> Here in the Now Frontier came out, <laughs> they, they had a show, and the only thing they did was have this, you know, blow up beer in the background. And Paul was like, "Dude, I was listening to you guys, you know, <laughs> about the show, and it's like a, a floating ear in the background. What happened?" So <laughs> I'm like, "No, I swear, Promised Land was such a good concert. This was it like, was amazing. it was so good." Yeah. Like Tom, you you mentioned the song "Promised Land," right? And and uh-huh. like the, like I said, I can actually remember being at the show, which we all know there aren't many that I you know, like have clear memories of. This one I do remember, and I remember that. So I pulled up the set list. Actually, that show was in June thirteenth of nineteen ninety five. So it would have been our second year in Nashville, and but I would have gone literally just before we got together, and just listen to the set list from this show. It opens up with 9.28 a.m. into IMI, Damaged, Bridge, Screaming in Digital, NM156, My Global Mind, Noya Regal. Then they do the abbreviated Mind Crime. I remember now, Anarchy X, Revolution Calling, Operation Mind Crime, Spreading the Disease, The Mission, I Don't Believe in Love, Waiting for 22, and My Empty Room. Into Real World, Eyes of a Stranger, um, Empire, Jet City Woman, Promised Land, at the end of the show, Disconnected, Lady Jane, Out of Mind, One More Time, with the encore being Silent Lucidity, Take Hold of the Flame, and Someone Else. My oh. God. Wow. Yeah. I mean, nice. that's, that's a... like two concerts in one. <laughs> <laughs> it is freaking amazing. The other thing that I forgot to mention... Um, that I don't think a lot of people realize about this album. It's, I, I think it's the only Queensryche album with a subtitle, and that being Eddie Jackson kicks you in the face repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, and, and, and that's the thing, right? That That's really, I, I don't know that I would have ever thought about it in those terms before but one of the things that really got me juiced listening to this is realizing just how fucking monstrous eddie jackson is on this record it's just delightful and and we've sort of been building up to that on the last couple of records you know we've we've you know noticed him a little bit more and 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 everything else but something about the way this album is put together He's just a delight. That's saying something because this album is so much more mellow, mm-hmm. and to have that, he still has that heavy presence in there. He kind of makes the more mellow songs even like it gives it that tinge of heaviness, like that that, that Queen's right heaviness in there. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting mix too, right? Because it still has some of those slick wonderful guitar tones that we've you know we we enjoyed so much in empire but it does have this sort of big bottom heavy end to it um that's kind of delightful and on the right system as well yeah well i really wish that i had gone to that show because as you mentioned tom the here and the now frontier tour was nothing like 
like that. Although I'm happy that I got to see that tour before, you know, everything fell apart on them. Um, but you know, it's so funny because I've always liked this album and and I I was kind of like anxious about listening to it because I'd listened to it, you know, when we had first started talking about doing Queensryche, I think it was like almost a year ago. I think because I remember walking around my neighborhood. Uh, you know, in the middle of the day, like taking my walk during work and listening to, you know, Queensryche album all week and remember listening to this and thinking, oh yeah, I remember how much this, this was great. But when we were going through this, I was so worried that it wasn't going to hold up. And, um, it, it certainly did. And I think it's just gotten better over time. I, I do have to say, and Tom, you know, you kind of mentioned it last week when we were rounding out Empire, like, you know, even, you know, even a bad Queensryche song is like, you know, still wonderful, right? right? And this is, this is not a bad album in any stretch, right? This album is fantastic. Yet in that sequence of the top five album, I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's firmly, I mean, it must be the greatest number four record of any band. <laughs> that's that's well said, Paul. I love it. I don't suppose you gentlemen want to know what was going on in uh, 1993-1994. And we would love it. to know. I remember it was a very good year for music. You know, I think the Queensrÿche phenomenon is just like any other product. It's like, you know, you, you have your peak, and then you can just kind of draw it out as long as you possibly can. And for some people, the, the, the peak was uh, rage, or for some people it was mind crime. For many others, it was empire. And then this is clearly where you see the tides turning for the musical genres, for musical marketing, for the whole world, and they, they're just plowing through at this point, doing what they do best. It's, it's, it's quite phenomenal. On that preamble, Ken, I mean, and we can maybe ask this after you're done, but, you know, we talk about here in the now frontier, did, did Queensryche become a victim of circumstances changing around them? Because you're right, this is what they did best and they stopped doing this and consequently i stopped giving a shit <laughs> yeah i i i feel like queensrike is just the volkswagen jetta of bands you know this is um 1994 october of 1994 an empire happened in 1990 you can imagine how much they toured According to the metalheads, Queensryche were road dogs, and that's a badge of honor. They really never stopped touring. And when it came time to finally make another album, we had an entirely different landscape in terms of grunge, metal, and pop. I, I was browsing through not just 94, but also 93. Um, 93, Bjork put out two albums, and Sarah McLaughlin had Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. Sting oh had Ten God. Summoner's Tales. This also is clearly excellent. a different world. 
in terms of uh, heavy metal, I don't even recognize a lot of the bands. Heavy metal persisted. You know, it's never really stopped, but it just became its own underground thing. In terms of prog, you know, Russia counterparts, which is their kind of darker phase. Everybody knows about grunge. You can't avoid it. 1993, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, Radiohead, all that stuff was happening. Going into uh, 1994, uh, we had Soundgarden, 1994, Super Unknown. And in 1994, oh my goodness. Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam's Vitality, uh, Green Day's Dookie. We got some Oasis happening and R.E.M. had the Monster album, Weezer, the Blue album. This is just a whole different fucking world. Maybe I should hit the actual progressive rock timeline as well, like I always seem to do little band you guys might be familiar with called Tool. I heard of them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 91 for us is, is Roll the Bones and Fish has Internal Exile and Genesis has We Can't Dance. Uh, 92 Tool, OP8, Porcupine Tree happening, Dream Theater happening, uh, Roger Waters and to Death. Um... Uh, 93, uh, Tool has Undertow, uh, Russia's Counterparts, and then 94, yes, has Talk, Merlin has Brave, Pink Floyd has The Division Bell. Wow. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That, that's a, that's a pretty broad spectrum right there. Um, is, did Dogman come out in 94? Yeah, you know, it's, it's so. funny. I, I was I was planning to mention uh, King's X, and I was planning to mention even like Nine Inch Nails and whatnot. There's just so much going on. I was even thinking of Jane's Addiction, but they're not showing up in these particular lists. Hmm. I feel like Tori Amos came out with Under the Pink that year too. May very well, yeah. And 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 Paul, in a previous episode, you said Zuropa changed everything. Well, this may not be the right time to bring this up, but you know, you know, I've I've had this terrible uh, theory that you know grunge music is basically the responsible party for popular music becoming you know destroyed. And in in the term popular music, I'm going to include all of the genres that you just covered, Ken, including progressive rock, because progressive rock is just a subgenre of popular music, in my opinion, and sorry if that's controversial. Uh, but like grunge, you know, if you think about Rush through their evolution, they allowed other influences to impact them, right? They added some reggae, they were influenced by the police, all that stuff comes out, right? Blah, blah, blah. But like, by the time grunge came out, the whole entire corporate machine behind music had really found a way to take, you know, a particular style of music and, you know, 
photocopy it, make all these Me Too bands. For, you know, and I, we've talked about it before. Like, you know, when your your hair metal bands of the '80s, right? You had Def Leppard, Bon Jovi. Uh, there's probably a couple of other, you know, key pieces. I'll include ACDC into that. The Scorpions, right? Things like that. And and they really all stemmed from like Aerosmith and Van Halen, right? And uh, and Led Zeppelin. So they took that sort of formula, and then it's like before you know it, you've, you're listening to Kicks, and enough's enough, and nothing against those bands. You know, a lot of people like them, but they're just you know B level versions of those bands. But that's what the way the industry was, right? After you get a handful of bands that are really good then everyone imitates them and waters them down and and commoditizes them, right? But they're all sub-genres, right? Like, you know, you have all these other groups that are existing side by side. You have all these other influences that are entering. By the time grunge comes along, it's almost like the entire industry just went, oh, well, now we can't have anything unless it's techno, grunge, or Madonna, right? And all of the bands, including Queensryche, like, not just allow themselves to be influenced by grunge, but they literally try to change everything and become that sort of grunge thing, which I think is why here in the Now Frontier suffers. And, um, and music, even though I love some of those bands you mentioned, Ken, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, ah, uh, fuck them. I think I don't. I don't really like them. They had two good albums. The rest is trash. And I think uh, Eddie Vedder is a great guy, but he's incredibly bloviating and annoying. And music never recovered from grunge. And I and I dare say it took progressive rock ten years before it found its soul again. After after the grunge era sort of came in and dismantled everything. Agreed. You can, cut a, you can cut all that off. <laughs> our well, our anti-grunge rant? No way. What I find interesting is Promised Land. You know, here we are at the beginning part of the whole grunge thing. Um, Queensryche was still, I think, in a place where they were like, we don't really care what's going on right now. It's new. We're just still doing our thing. This is a big production. Yeah. Promised Land is a big sounding record. And I think that they were still not really trying to compete with any grunge. Yeah. I mean, they so, didn't really do I, that until the next album. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I, that's why I said that this may not be the right time because I don't think any of what I said applies to Promised Land. But, but to, you know, to Ken's point, all of that was emerging and it was about to start happening. And particularly now when I listen to this, and I think this is 1994, it's like a shining light of, of hope in all of that, you know, trash. And of course, you know, we all know what happened. So. Right. Right. I was thinking about that when I, I listened to an interview with Nick Collins, Phil Collins' son, just about wrapping up the Genesis tour and then going back to his Better Strangers band and they played the Better Strangers track. And, um, what was it? Rob Show. I wish I could credit 
And um, whenever I hear Wolfgang Van Halen, what, mm. what you know, what what he does was it Mammoth or whatever? Yeah. And then I heard yeah. something from the account, like I love what the what the youngsters are doing, but it's all still kind of weirdly gummed up by grunge somehow. So if we talk about the particulars for this album, then. It was released in October of 1994, produced by Queensryche and James Jimbo Barton, released on the label EMI. The now standard and classic lineup of Jeff Tate on vocals, saxophone, and keyboards, Chris DeGarmo on lead and rhythm guitar, piano, cello, and sitar. I'm Michael. Sorry. I'm sorry. Every time I think of Jeff Tate playing the saxophone, <laughs> I just think I just think of that that podcast. CMS that's classic why, metal show. That's, <laughs> that's why I specifically called it out. I knew I'd get a reaction. <laughs> All right, let's let's give credit where credit is due. Anybody wants to know why we're laughing? It's the classic metal show. The primary host is Chris Aiken, and you can search for "De Evolution of Queensryche," and you'll have 37 minutes of laughter. Yes. So, anyway, Chris DeGarmo, lead and rhythm guitar, piano, cello, and sitar. Michael Wilton, lead and rhythm guitar. Eddie Jackson on bass guitar. And Scott Rockenfield on drums, percussion, and tape effects. I do want to point out here the, the wiki's call out Hugh Syme for the art direction, design, and illustrations. And I want to, I want to call that out. And I, where the hell is it? Shit. I had my copy around here somewhere. Uh, doesn't really matter. I want to say that this may very well be my favorite use of the Tri-Rike. Um, and if we were to ever rank Queensryche album covers, my guess is this would be absolutely at the top. Um, Hugh Syme obviously had a lot to do with the Rush catalog as well. So we've, we've come across his work before. Just uh, absolutely spectacular. Agreed. Yeah. The track listing... Uh, and it's interesting. I, I want to call out the fact that this album comes in at a very, very tight and wonderful 48 minutes. Mm. Ooh. The track listing, 928 AM, IMI, Damaged, Out of Mind, Bridge, Promised Land, Disconnected, Lady Jane, My Global Mind, One More Time, and Someone Else. Promised Land is the fifth studio album by the American heavy metal band Queensryche and their highest charting record to date. It was released by EMI on October 18, 1994, four years after their successful Empire album. The album was re-released on June 10th, 2003 in a remastered edition with bonus tracks. So there you go. If we look at the chart positions for this record, since it's called out specifically in the intro, in 1994, it, it charted number three on the Billboard 200, number six on the Swedish album charts, number 10 in Germany, 13 in the UK, 14 in Switzerland, 16 in Japan and the Netherlands, 28 in Canada, and 38 in Austria. That's very impressive that this was there, that this was so high up there. I wouldn't have thought that. I think it's, what I like to call the Tormato effect. In that, you know, you have Operation Mindcrime and then Empire. And then, you know, Promised Land comes out. 
and like everyone's just buying the shit out of it before it's even before they even hear it because of the strength of the last two two records. So sometimes the album that performs the best on the charts, you know, may not be the the most popular one that stands, you know, that that people think of when they think the band, you know, because I I want to say Tormato was one of the higher placing charting albums that Yes had, as it should have been. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> certainly, certainly the tour was, you know, you know, pretty pretty monstrous, but but you know, I would say it had a lot to do with. The previous success. Yeah, I, I, I think that probably is a very valid assessment of of this. Again, like even at the time, you know, I, I don't know that I would have thought to rank this above Empire. But I mean, four years after Empire, and as you pointed out, Paul or Ken, both of you, maybe, you know, they were they were road dogging this entire time. They were touring everywhere. We already went to great, um, into great detail about how wonderful that tour was with the whole mind crime in its entirety thing and, you know, everything else that was going on. So, yeah, they reached a lot of people. And I'm sure when this album came out, a lot of people had, you know, memories, experiences of Queen's Rike and said, yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, they didn't get their next silent lucidity on there, but. You know, we'll talk about the record, obviously. Yeah, I, the thing that's amazing to me about this record is like it's so fucking great. I mean, it's great in such a tragic way. We are we are in like the end of the first act of the Queensrÿche, you know, VH1 behind the music, you know, at the end of the Empire tour, right? Like they are at the very top of their game. They've achieved every dream they possibly could, and you know, basically, all of their lives are not what they thought they'd be. They're, they're like in shambles, right? People are getting divorced. People are breaking up in their relationships. There's addiction problems. There's all the stuff going on in the band. And this album becomes such like an introspective sort of group of songs. It's so wonderful. And it's just so unexpected, you know? It's so unexpected to follow a band into like, Cause like, right. You think about it when, when we were growing up and, and like, we loved bands that nobody heard of. We yeah. loved bands that were the underdogs, right? And Queensryche was one of the underdogs that like achieved everything, right? They just were. And, and then this album comes out and they're basically like, yeah, you know what? It's not all that, you know? And, and, um, it, in the long run, it's so satisfying. And, and it's just so well put together. I would say at the time, while I liked it, I may have even thought, ah, oh, well, this is Queensryche finally put out a sophomore album, you know? And, and that would just be my own naivete. And like you said, Joe, sort of, you know, Tom, you've mentioned this a lot with Fish, right? The expectations that you have, um, from what you've heard before. So it's fascinating to me. And unfortunately, when the second act of the VH1 behind the music, unfolds it 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 just like takes a steep turn downhill from here well talking about the whole vh1 thing there was some 
thing I was watching today on on YouTube. There was um, it was a clip from some Ricky Rackman show, and oh, uh, Ricky Rackman, and and they it was right when Promised Land. It's Ricky Rackman, the Guy Fieri of heavy metal. <laughs> he might be. Sounds, he might be. That, that works for me. <laughs> um, but I guess was VH1 or MTV had a had a show, and they basically had like a room full of Queensryche fans all listening to Promised Land on headphones. Yes. And he was like, okay, they were so excited. We have, you know, fervent Queensryche fans all listening to Promised Land, and, and uh, we can't wait to hear what they're, they're going to say. And then they cut to Ricky um, and Jeff Tate, and Ricky goes, so Jeff, what are you hearing? You know, what's what's the what are you hearing from the fans about Promised Land? And Jeff just got this look on his face, and he goes, "Well, it's a bit questionable." <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and just like Ricky goes, "Oh oh oh," and then like and then they cut, and then but I'm just it it's you know, it is tragic in a way that you know. People have expectations, like you said, Paul, and yeah. and I'm I was the same way. I was like, okay, I this is what I want to hear, and this is the way I want to hear it. And you know, Queen's right is such a personal thing. Like you 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 have gone through this journey with them, and you feel part of it. And you know, you're sometimes you're pretty hard on the people that you love, right? And you're you're hard you're mm-hmm. harder on you know bands that you love. And, you know, I know I'm harder on fish and whatever. I, I know I've been hard on Queen's Rack at times. Um, and so it, it, it's, you know, you feel guilty about, you know, feeling a certain way, feeling a certain way. But, um, I do feel that, you know, this was the right album to put out because even though it didn't have the silent lucidity and it didn't have, you know, the big, you know, Song Empire on it that was you know this like the, the quintessential Queens right um, there there was a lot on here it, they 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 took it to another level which they always done they did they just did something different and they wanted to go darker and more ethereal or whatever and it was it was richer and it had more texture uh, but it was it was a more introspective album. And it's still a good album, but it just wasn't quite, you know, mixed with what everything else that was going on. There was definitely a lot of people who had mixed emotions about it. And, um, a lot of people who hung in there, you know, realized it, um, realized the beauty of this album. And I think we all, we all do. We'll, we'll find out after this uh, episode. Uh, but, um, you know, I think a lot of us really, um, appreciated after the fact but this album is very much in tune with their other albums just being different them not sitting on their laurels them not just saying hey we're going to do another one of these and they and they were it so this album i've really come to respect a lot Mm -hmm. and you know again i I probably would place as fourth the same as you paul actually i probably would place it in front of empire but you know Regardless, um, regardless of my place in in the rank, I, I really, really respect this album a lot because of 
of these five guys just doing what they wanted to do as opposed to here in the now frontier saying, okay, now we have to hire a you know, producer engineer who has done grunge stuff and now we have to sort of compete with that, which is sort of a ridiculous notion when you think about it because you're just not going to, you know, compete with somebody that's just a, a different style than you are. So um, this is just a, a wonderful album. It's been a wonderful ride altogether. Tom, listening to you is very compelling. And I started. You should hear me when I sound like a Cylon. <laughs> Do I sound like a Cylon? No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, listening to you made me think of Dogman. Mm. And Joe, you just mentioned the epic Eddie Jackson. And one of the features of Dogman was that Doug Pinnock finally got the bass on a King's X album that he was expecting. So, I'm. And. and it's no accident. The release just months apart. Uh, I looked up Dog Man, and it was um, January 1994, and this is what October 94. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that Promised Land is the Dog Man Queensrÿche. Interesting. Wow. They certainly both have the meaty bass for sure. They sure do. Now, meaty bass. In the last episode, we had a a potentially inflammatory quote from one Jeff Tate talking about the world order of Queensryche. That would be that Jeff would have an album and Chris would have an album and Jeff would have an album and Chris would have an album. But after Operation Mindcrime, it's the Chris DeGarmo show. So if you look at the, I mean, if you, it, if you look at the songwriting credits for this one and even the next album, it's like, all freaking DeGarmo. It's amazing. Yep. And I don't necessarily mind that on, on this, but it's it's just interesting that things maybe didn't work out quite the way that everyone thought. But it is, you know, I guess Chris DeGarmo had things to say and do, and everyone was willing to go along with him. And I think it's, in this case, it's delightful. Yeah. And then building empires, like, you know, it's really, this is a fun part of that story. You know, because it talks about how, you know, everyone was kind of, you know, you know, it's, you know, like we said, it's the classic story of a band that's road dogs. They're they're on the road for so long, you know, that the rest of their lives just are not in order, right? You know, maybe maybe the lesser, you know, some are falling apart more than others, but their lives are not in order because all they've been doing is touring and recording and touring and recording, and now they finally have time to try to go in and sort things out. And as often as the case, you know, you try to sort things out and things end up getting worse. And, you know, it talks about how, you know, Chris was really, you know, the one who was pulling everybody together to, to record this, getting everybody involved in, in, you know, you know, working through, you know, whoever he was collaborating with, but he was the one that was kind of, you know, keeping the band together which is telling uh you know for when he quits the band you know like if yeah. the one guy who's trying to keep everybody moving and going in the same direction quits but um i i agree with you joe i don't i don't mind it one bit him at the creative helm and the collaboration that happens you know across the rest of the band and where they interject their their greatness certainly a formula that works very well here but even Jeff Tate is quoted as saying that Chris DeGarmo uh, was the captain of the ship. 
you know, after uh, Chris left, there was an interview with him, and you know, even Jeff said that he was um, the captain of the ship, not only with the songwriting, but with the you know the business end of things, like you're saying. Yes. Paul. And, yeah. and um, so that was a big deal for them after this band. And, you know, I know we're going to, I'm not really going to get into the next album, but after the next album, you know, EMI is no longer. So not only is Chris leaving, but, you know, the whole, um, really the whole captain and the ship, <laughs> meaning that the record yeah. label are, are sort of going down. So, um, you know, this is, this is definitely an important album in their career because uh, things definitely go south after this. I'm curious, before anyone started to prepare for this episode, and I'm assuming we've all looked at the wiki page, uh, was anyone else familiar with the term musique concrète? Well, I went to an experimental music program where it came up in my education. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you're talking about soundscapes? Yes. So specifically, it is a type of music composition that utilizes recorded sounds as raw material. Um, the wikis go into great detail on 9:28 a.m. being a music concrete, and that they gave Scott full reign to uh, to create this. Now, you know, for me, it's not the highlight of things that Queen Strike has ever done. I find the I, I think it's too long. I find the opening heartbeat thing to be a little too dark side of the moon derivative. Uh it just doesn't it doesn't do anything for me. I think the the baby cries for too long. It's just it's not it's not up to the the standard that that I think Queensryche has established for this sort of thing. And so I was amused, perversely so, that there's such a huge section in on the wiki page about, you know, the opening track that's, you know, just a matter of, um, what is it, a minute 44 long, which, yeah. you know, it probably could have been 45 seconds and it would have been just fine. But I, we love I, Scott. I, yeah, we he, do, he, absolutely. He's, he's had and a time, few years. We love Scott. We love his parts. We, we do, and it's always fun when a drummer gets to, you know, do something, you know, sort of get let loose. Um, I want to say one of the best stories about this, to take a little side trip, was when I was reading the biography on Joe Strummer of The Clash. Uh, Rock the Casbah was actually written by their drummer. And apparently everyone else left the studio one evening and he had an idea and he, he stayed in the studio, wrote the song, demoed the whole thing out. So when the band came back the next day, they're like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. boom, you wow. know, rock the Casbah. So story. yeah, 928 AM, not rock the Casbah. Just want to be clear. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I, I agree with what you said, Joe. It's too long. I think we've already talked about it longer than it actually is. But, Probably. But uh, I do think it it does set, set the mood for the uh, for the album. And um, it fits in nicely with the cover. And um, for some reason, for me. And, uh, you know, it's a nice transition into IMI. So are we getting into the album now? Yeah, we're in. All right, good, because I can't wait to shit all over someone else. 
Oh, shit. What? <laughs> Where did that come from? Are you kidding? It's 11. It's 11. It's 10 more tracks away. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Wow. Oh, right. I so hope you're joking. Oh. <laughs> so let's start with IMI. Oh, my God. How do we feel about IMI? Do we love it? Is it spectacular? Is it whatever? I, I fucking love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Uh, I think it's always been a, a strong track. It's it's definitely nice to have a heavier song on this album because you know after this one and Damage, things sort of go down a notch with the sort of you know the the heaviness of it. You know, it's like, but it's it's nice to have crowd pleaser like this to sort of. I think it was important to have a song like this in the beginning. Um, because it, it, it really gave you a piece of maybe the last couple albums, um, and w- without sort of throwing you in a completely different gear for the rest of the album. So after the rather self-indulgent 9:28 a.m., I feel like the the sound design and the voices are fantastic on this song, and they're fucking amazing in headphones. And and the heaviness and the for whatever reason the vocal line to me is like a throwback to the warning. And I fucking love it. Oh, nice, 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 yeah. And the the guitar solo, the fucking quintessential Chris DeGarmo. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Ah, when on. this starts off, I mean, this is Scott Rockenfield in his his best uh, form. It's like everything that you love about this drummer because he doesn't do anything standard like it's just he has this crazy almost like african kind of beat heavy african beat if and but he puts it around like this song could be this song could go in a completely different direction if there was a more of a, a typical sort of hard rock heavy metal beat and this is scott rockenfield um, in his best form, and even though he's not credited on this as being uh, one of the songwriters, uh, it's it's the rhythm. I, I think that's that that's one of the things that makes the song shine. Yeah, good call. So, Joe, we love it. Do you love it? Yes, I think I do. Um, I you know, think I love you. Some some. <laughs> Sometimes I do, and sometimes I just want to get through it and get to damaged. Um, th- there's there's something about it that it, it doesn't sit in you know 100 percent correctly with me. But yeah, I might know what that is. I I love this song, but to quote the progressive flavor, too many giddies. <laughs> there, there are a lot of Jeff Tates happening here. Um, yeah, we get that a couple times on this record. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of Jeff singing back up to his own lead. Uh, otherwise, I do like it. And I think that warning reference, Paul, is spot on. There's something yeah. just slightly monotone about the warning that I love that's mm-hmm. happening here. Not, not one-dimensional, but just eerily focused. Yeah. 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 And like I said, I mean, honestly, it, and, and I, I believe I talked about this, uh, last episode 
or two episodes ago with, with Empire. Um, I just want to get to the second song. Like, that's all I want. And it's no different here. Like, I just want to get to Damaged because I that's, freaking love Damaged. That's fair. Yeah. Cool. Damaged is like, you know, after, after the first five minutes, it's like, here's Eddie Jackson right smack in the center of your brain. This is your brain on Eddie Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, I'm like I said, I'm just excited to get to damaged. And as soon as we do there, it's like, I'm in my happy place. And I mean, this album, we've talked about this before on, on other records and, and certainly in Queensryche, it's not like this is new to them, but this album goes places. It, it takes you on a bit of a musical journey um, and I just think it's absolutely delightful. So, yeah, I mean, this is the first example of, of Eddie Jackson kicking us in the face. And God, I just revel in it. I just roll around in it like a pig in filth. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah. It, it's just such, it's, and it's such a great arrangement. The way, it, the way it drops into like the half, the double time mm-hmm. or in like the, the, the chorus. It never even feels like a chorus, right? It just, it is. Well, I was actually going to say, Paul, that um, I Am I and Damaged could be on, on your record, Songs Without a Chorus, because I don't think <laughs> either of those songs have a chorus. They're both yeah. um, verse-refrain, and that's the way I hear it. I, I don't true, hear the yeah. chorus. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you guys are saying, but I, I, I don't know if I... Um, I think I like IMI better than, than Damaged. I mean, I like them both. Uh, I think they're, they're both good, but, um, I think IMI is, 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 a, is a real strong one to lead things off. And I, I don't know if, uh, to me, Damaged is that much better, but I mean, they're, they're both great. I mean, they're both really heavy, right? Like this is yeah. the way you want to start out a, a Queensrÿche album. And it's funny because we, I think we, I, I don't really remember, but I want to say that we talked on empire about some of that heaviness sort of being taken away a little bit. And it's almost like right out of the gate, they wanted to remind you, Hey, we may go some places, you know, it later on in this album, but we're still fucking Queens. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's interesting, right? Because normally, and this is part of the reason why I brought up the, the full DeGarmo slate of, of writing credits, because normally when we rock out, you know, it's a Michael Wilton song. Yeah, and, and we don't have that here. We have Chris DeGarmo still bringing, bringing the heavy, which is cool. Yeah, damage sounds like the closest thing to Mindcon to me, at least when it starts out. See, and even now, like as much as I love Damaged, I'm excited to go on to the next track. I just can't, I just can't stop myself. Which is how I listen to this record. It just kind of flies yeah. by for me. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, you know, Tom, when you were saying like. You know, do I like IMI better than Damage? It's really hard because I don't know that I like. I think this album is tracked well, and I and like Damage is just the kick-ass song that comes on after IMI. You know, like it, yeah, I think I like them both both the same. Um, yeah. And uh, and I I agree with you, Joe. I mean, like out of mind. I mean, you said that you know no one got their silent lucidity. Um. Uh, on this record, but to me, out of mind is every bit as, you know, especially Jeff Tate's delivery, every bit as tender and, and haunting 
as uh, as anything he's ever done. It, maybe it's more like uh, I will remember than than Silent Lucidity, but this song, like you put your headphones on and just like wallow in the reverb of yeah. of all of this and the snare sound. Oh, come on! In 1994, I was just like, it's like butter. So if if you know, I I do a thing. I don't know if anyone else does this. I put this song due to its general ambiance as well as the the subject matter. I put this on the same shelf as Entangled. That's the one. Yes. Yeah. So what track, I, I what track is that, Joe? Entangled. So I, I put this on the same shelf as what number track? Sorry, two. It is two. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah you're right. So I put this on the same shelf as as Genesis Entangled and Peter Gabriel's Lead a Normal Life because both of those tracks have this sort of spacey ambient sort of feel, and they both deal with people who have you know have whatever issues they have and are sort of put in a corner to you know stay out of everyone's way. I dig it. And, you know, so I, it's weird. Uh, maybe it's not, right? Because at the top of the episode, we were talking about the Genesis influence. I'm not suggesting that was maybe what was part of this, but that's, that's the experience that I directly have every time I listen to, to this record or to this track. I would have never thought to put all those songs together, Joe, but yeah. Bravo. I dig it. I th- I remember like a a single drive down Lower State Road and just being stuck at like the two and a half minute mark, whatever halfway through the song is when the music breaks down and there's the just the 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 drum just the, on the snare. The, 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 whap. Yes, and, and I'm I must have rewound and played that hit like I don't know for like three miles down the road. Because it's just the snare, the the reverb and everything is just like, oh my god, it's it's so great. And then the solo, and this is a great song. And 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 like just lyrically, right? The the second verse is one that always sort of sticks with me. Old man is strapped to the seat of his chair, wearing a gown, shouting and cursing at someone who clearly isn't around. Father time has twisted his mind. The staff says he's not well. To whom does he speak? Maybe he's speaking to me. Not only is all of this wonderfulness going on, right? And and Tate's vocals are oh. deliciously understated. Like, he's doing all the wonderful things that Jeff Tate does, but in in, in a way that you almost don't even notice it. Yeah. And And then underneath all of this, as if he hasn't been godlike enough already... Oh, Eddie Jackson seems to have a fretless in his closet. <laughs> Fuck me! Uh, <laughs> yes, please. Oh, <laughs> uh, that is that is fantastic. You know what's funny though, and maybe this album, su- this whole album suffers from it, is that when you hear the like the brilliance in in that in the fretless and the and the arrangement of the song, the lyrics, and Jeff Tate's like when he goes up. You know, in that last verse or the last one, he's singing, they see a picture few of us see. Yeah. And he goes real high for it. It's so, it's so remarkable. It's so beautiful. And yet, 
we've had this is the fifth album of Jeff Tate Brilliance. This is the fifth album that like it's almost like can we it, are we in danger of taking some of it for granted? Absolutely we are. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Hundred percent. And I feel like that's why all these years later I have such a better appreciation for this record than I did than you know, when I came out and I still liked it a lot when it came out. I still loved it. But uh, but it's just grown on me because I think I think I was taking some of this for granted back back then, and now I'm I'm I still get chills every time I hear him go for that high high part. Yeah, the out of mind and bridge I think are, with the exception of maybe like putting it close to you, which they they didn't write. But I mean I think these are the first time that we're really hearing sort of mid tempo acoustic. Queen's right that isn't a ballad. I mean, I, I don't consider either of these songs ballads. Yeah, right. uh, I just sort of like. I think this is the um, Paul. This is the voice of this album. The more sort of mid-tempo. The, this is the sort of the first time that we hear um, Queen's right kind of get into this um, style or even even genre, if you will. To me, it sounds new. It, it sounds like. You know, like a new page of a book, there is something special to it because it's something that we haven't heard. So if we're going to move on to Bridge, then I, I, you know, I've got to admit, this is, this is where I kind of check out a little bit. I know how I'm supposed to react to this song. Oh, well said. And I just don't give a shit. <laughs> I, and that's, that's a terrible thing to say, but it, there, it just, it doesn't, grab me for some reason. I don't know what it is about this song. I don't ever skip it, but I don't enjoy it it's on well any said. level. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It, it's too obvious. I mean Maybe that's what it is. There's yeah. nothing left to yeah. our imaginations. Yeah, it's it's a great call out. And some of the lusciousness that we I mean, I think one of the cool things about it is you have a lot of interesting Sound design, it's subtle, you know, voices all over the place in IMI. You have damage doing similar things. Out of mind is just a wonderful, full, reverbed sort of. And bridge is just like front and center. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know if there's reverb on anybody on this song. I mean, it, it sonically. Everything it is, about it is obvious. Everything. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is very, it is very obvious. I. I like this song. I've like I think I reacted the way I was supposed to react when I heard it back back in the day. The thing I love about it now, though, is that you know Chris DeGarmo wrote this, and, and I and I I could be wrong, but I think based on what I've read, he wrote this about the relationship he had, reflecting on the relationship he had with his own father, and also the relationship that he was having with his children. That because he was touring all the time, right? Oh, wow. I think he was, I think when you think about this is his vision of, of his life with his father and his reflection upon what his life is becoming with his children. And is it any, if you think about that now listening to this, is it any surprise that he quits the band, you know, after the next album when really like he's achieved everything he wants to EMI goes bankrupt, Q prime dumps them. Like, why would he continue? Like, What's what's the point? Like he would rather focus on, on you know the things that are important, and I just find that to be kind of cool. All these years later, 
Well, to, to take it to another level, also, uh, his father was a pilot, mm-hmm. and Christogarma left Queensryche in part to do more piloting. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. I guess, I, I don't know if he was a somewhat professional pilot at some yeah. point, but he actually, um, he, he chose that at, at the time. Um, how when, hard when, is being a rock musician if pilots see their family more? Well, sorry. I yeah. Just, um, yeah. True. But, uh, I mean, basically, he wanted to, um, it was his way of getting in touch with his father, um, and, and, and sort of, uh, getting closer to him by, Flying a plane the way the way his father did, and and that was also somewhat of a motivation of him leaving um, the band as well. So he talked about that a little bit in the. Uh, there's a little 12 minute you know expose documentary about the making of this album. Chris talks a little bit about the song. Um, I I've always liked the song. I mean I don't know. I mean. Um, I guess what your definition of obvious is, uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's a beautiful song. I, I particularly like the ending. It's like this sort of like Queensryche big way of ending the song, but with acoustic guitars. It's like yeah. you have yeah. all the voices and it builds the way that, you know, certain things build with mind crime, but you're, you're hearing with acoustic guitars. And I think it was a, it was a really interesting way to, to end the song. You know, maybe if I had to rank all the songs on the album, it maybe wouldn't be in the top couple. But you know, it's still I still like listening to it. I think it's a good call out on the end, um, but it is it's it's definitely packaged differently. And from there, we move into the almost eight minute epic that is Promised Land. I gotta be honest, I'm a sucker for this song. It's <laughs> it it's it, it's a song almost without form. But it's so atmospheric and so wonderful and all the different things that they throw at you, whether it's deliciously bendy guitars or Scott throwing in some just delightful percussion out of nowhere or Jeff just coming out and screaming at you in a wonderful way. It's just, it's, it's, there's so much space here and it's, it's, kind of dark and creepy and wonderful i oh i love it joe yeah you, you touched uh on a lot uh this could also be uh on paul's album as well um <laughs> i don't it's weird like the, there is kind of a chorus but it's it's a it, it's sort of a, a weird i don't know if you would consider it that but anyway um my thought on this song is and joe you touch upon the largeness of the song this is so fun to listen to. Uh, I mean, I, from a sound design, like I, I love, I'm a sucker for just big, boomy sounds. And a lot of times with hard rock or heavy metal, things, are, there's so much in the kitchen. You don't always appreciate the largeness of things because you have, everything's loud and you have distorted guitars and you have this, that and the other thing. It's like you can hear, you can really appreciate the largeness of the song, uh, and the, and the, the value 
of uh, of the of the production on on this song because it's slowed down and there's a lot of space and I think you even use that word uh, space and you definitely have space to appreciate things and I I don't know if this was always one of my favorite songs it's definitely one of my favorite songs live as I mentioned earlier I mean I watched a lot of just mom and pop video stuff taken and I still love watching this song live and um, just Jeff's performance. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he played the saxophone well, you know I mean? He's, he's not like going off, but it's just like, it's peppered in there. Nice. Uh, and I, I think live, you know, it did well, but I think song wise, the song never has blown me away, but I, I love listening to the song. Because of the production, and it, yeah, it is one of those songs that you just you're put in that space. It, it, it puts you in a certain space, and it, it lets you sort of interpret, you know, the way you want to interpret it. Uh, by not having like a big chorus, it, it, it lets you sort of interpret the song in a certain way, and, and lets you participate in it a little bit more than like. Uh, a, a bigger production song that has this the, the gang vocal or, or, or whatever, I, you know? I love what you just said there where it lets you participate in it. I think that's absolutely perfect. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it, I think that when you when you're able to participate, um, you, you, you're able to enjoy it more in, in some ways. And, uh, this production is just wonderful. I mean, just those big sounds in the beginning, I mean, God, you're listening to them in the car on good speakers and you're just like, oh, you're just like, it's like, you're just like a sucker for, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big sucker for my, my big cinematic booms, right? So it's like a song like this, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna get sucked into. So yeah, I mean, this is a really fun song. I, I think the only thing that I can add is the other fun place to listen to this song is in headphones. Mm. And, um, yeah. Anybody puts playlists together of songs that should be listened to in headphones. This is, this is one. And, and even, you know, we, we busted Jeff Tate's balls about the whole, um, saxophone thing, but even that in this context, I think is used appropriately. Yeah. It's definitely appropriate here. In <laughs> the thin line, I don't think so. Not so much. Not so cer- much. Cer- certainly not in a, it, not necessary in a live environment. Right. I, I want to, because one of the things I think it's very easy to overlook in this song, because there's so much space and other things going on, are the lyrics. But these lyrics, when you look at them, uh, they melt my brain out. Standing neck deep in life, my ring of brass lay rusting on the floor. Is this all? Because it's not what I expected. Somewhere along the way, close, fled the the fast lane. I didn't notice. I just had to make it. Head down, nose in the grindstone. The kiss of life placed on my brow kept sliding to the ground. And now it's buried six feet under. Preaching from the floor again, the same old sad song. Bartender, bring another drink for their favorite son. Holy mm, shit. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 
and 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 when you when you sort of reflect back on the way that Tate delivers those lines, mm. oh, it's it's almost like you know a hotel hobby sort of feel to it, right? Oh, oh it's so good. Hey, Joe, you want to hear what my note is for this I, song? I, I do. Note: Promised Land, Clutching at Straws, Part Two: The Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Great minds, Thomas. Great minds. <laughs> Guys, I don't want to let this song go by without talking about the live portion of this. And I, I cannot say enough about this. I talked a little bit about it in the beginning, but basically I've always disliked music videos, right? Because I think that they're, they never really get across what the song is, and it's always like, it's just, it's just sort of silly to me. And is that why you never finished uh, Partly Palaver? Uh, oh, I knew, damn. I knew that, that's going to come back around. <laughs> that's going to come back around. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still working on it. So, uh, so I, basically, I, I've always had disdain with music videos, and when this comes on okay this wasn't a part of the, any music video this was a part of the live show you're you're looking at it and it's just very a well-told story and a very told interpretation of what this song is about of what promised land is about and you see i, I sort of dislike that you know the that they call him Nikki in here. I don't know why they need to call him Nikki. I thought it was ridiculous. But anyway, other than that, <laughs> um, you have someone who was disenchanted with the whole American dream. Things did not go well. You have him with his family. You know, Jeff's in the video on the in the concert. Um, you have okay. This is the American dream. This is what you wanted to achieve, and then things go south. Um, the house has in disrepair and you go into credit card debt and whatever. And then he bails, right? And he walks through the city and he's, uh, things are, things are going south real quick. He winds up walking into a bar, but before he gets into a bar, he sort of, sort of a hallway that he walks into and, um, you know, and he goes down these steps and when he comes out, he's in the club slash bar on the stage and this, and then he acts out the whole song, um, in, in, in first person. And this is, is just so powerful and is such a great use of all the tools that we've seen since Queens Reich started. Right. I mean, like they, they started and they did a little bit of this and did a little bit of this. And then, you know, operation mind crime, they did a lot of this, but they still, you know, uh, there was still a whole multimedia thing that, you know, they didn't quite get. And then, but this is the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, there might have been something that, that had something like this that has happened. But I mean, to use media in this way was just a spectacular thing to see live. And to use, you know, I'm assuming they use like the, the roadies and the things for the background, the people sitting in the bar and, um, you know, the bartender and, you know, there are people dancing. So, I mean, there, I mean, there was like a whole, 
a whole like you know New York Broadway production here, and the fact that you know then we we go into it, and then to have the band standing as part of the jazz band in the beginning, and then the thing that that kills me kills me. I was just watching this today. We go into the so after Jeff goes into the bar, he's having drinks and he's. Uh, you know, doing his thing with the, with the bartender and listening to the jazz band. Chris uh, Scott Rockenfield's playing like a smaller drum kit, right? Like if you see it, it's like you know the size of something you know Lars would use. You know, it's like a smaller version of a, a these big monstrosity drum kits that we're used to him seeing, you know, used to him playing. And when he plays that those those big boomy sounds on the you know at the beginning of Promised Land. You're just like, you hear it, and you're just like, where did that come from? It's just like a small <laughs> little kit. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's great. And um, the fact that they're playing the whole song in, you know, tuxedos, or, you know, uh, suits rather, you just know that these guys, before this song, were in their rock outfit, and then they go back and change to do this. It's just, it's just so, it's just so awesome. This is like, a heavy metal band, and they're just they're doing this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, changing outfits to look like they're in a jazz band on stage to be in a in a bar, and then Jeff is is doing like this this great sort of performance, and then when he falls on the floor, he's drunk, and the bartender will pick him up, and you know stuff like that. I mean, it's just um, it, it was just a really really well done thing to do, and it's something that no music video could ever accomplish. And to, even though it's not technically a music video, this is the way to, and to to tell a story, in my opinion. This is the best way to tell a story. So I just I just can't say enough of this. Um, not not just the song, but really the presentation of this of this song live. And, and again, I'll point out that was very near the end of the set, which is it's it's brave in a lot of different ways. We then move on to Disconnected. Eddie gets to kick us in the face again. Disconnected is just fun, right? Uh, that that bass line in the beginning with when it's just Eddie and Scott is fucking killer. And then those just big, fat, bouncy guitars come in and you're just like, fuck me, this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, in terms of, of content, it's not you know, much deeper than that. But quite frankly, that's more than enough for me to enjoy myself for the several minutes that this song is, is on. Well, Joe, you said it. I mean, the word fun is, is all about this song. And I think that's an accurate way to talk about it. I nicknamed the song, the William Shatner song, because of the way he <laughs> sings it, he sings <laughs> it like William Shatner. And I can't help but laugh every time I hear it. So I'm definitely having a lot of fun. When I hear this song, because um, I can I can just hear William Shatner singing this song. I would love to hear him sing this song. Uh, that would, is uh, funny. He could I, guest on the tour. That would be so great. That would be so great. <laughs> that really would. It, it like it. It's it's all summed up in in the I guess we'll call it a verse. Maybe all I need besides my pills and the surgery is a new metaphor for reality. <laughs> just. Huh. It's so funny, and that whole down thing, it's just <laughs> too silly. But it's delightful at the same time. Yeah, it's a fun respite. 
after some of the seriousness of, you know, what we've gone through already, you know, it's, it's nice. It's a good, it's a good transition. So that was, that was really quick. Um, actually disconnected is 445, which is, you know, it's, it's one of the, the longer tracks on the record. In fact, I, just looking at it, it is the, by just a couple of seconds or just a second, the second longest on the whole record, but it does seem to just kind of fly by. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's not particularly deep, but it is very, very enjoyable. And I may have, done grievous damage to my hearing on this track as well. Mm. Now, this is an interesting example of a better way to do a fun song, a creative way to do a fun song. I know we sort of gave him a, a bit of grief about some of the fun songs on the last album. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, sort of well-deserved grief. I mean, I think that this is a very creative song. And not every song has to be like super dark or super deep or yeah. Even super introspective. I mean, this is just a very, uh, again, say the word fun. This is a fun way to, to just say what you have to say. And, uh, I think it's, it's nice to hear Queensryche do something like this because a lot of times everything is, is just so layered and you take it ultra seriously, which is, you know, isn't a bad thing. So I, I find this to be a nice little change. And I just, I think, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna harp on it again. I just think the production on here between the, the bass and the guitars is just delicious. So how do we feel about Lady Jane? I'm curious. I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Lady Jane, a little bit different on a couple of, uh, on a couple different levels, right? I mean, we've, we've already seen different tracks on this record, but I want to say this is, I mean, is this where we really first get significant use of the piano in, in a song like this? I think it is, I right? Think it is. Um, so we haven't really gotten that before. Yeah. I think that's very cool. You know, it's another one of those songs where, where Jeff Tate is, is singing very low in his register, but again, He's just as good at that as he is at the upper end. And there's something about this song that I, it just, it elicits certain emotions from me, but I can't really articulate what they are, which doesn't help when you're doing a podcast. But this song kind of takes me away a little bit to a different spot, maybe than the rest of the record. But it definitely is, is, is different. I can see where it would. I mean, this is another example of uh, songs like Out of Mind and Bridge being that sort of mid-tempo feel. Um, and, and this is really what, what gives this, uh, this album glue is because we have a lot of these songs now, these sort of mid-tempo, acoustic-y, more organic, um, organic song, being that there's, there's piano and, and, and whatnot. And I think the song is really carving, but it's weird that I say carving because of the, the cover of the album, but um, it, it's really carving out its style of of just not being super heavy, but having really quality content with like a, a, a mid-tempo acoustic song. Yeah, I, I like the... Uh... I like the change here. The piano works really well as the lead instrument. 
better than it's the first time I think we're hearing it. It won't be the last, but it will be the best. I, I love the dual guitar solo. I love the parallel vocal harmonies throughout. You know, it is a little bit of, you know, this is where I think they, you know, from a production perspective, they allow themselves to, to, you know, share their influences a little bit more deep, deeper of the modern day music, the way that the piano melody really becomes predominant at the end, even though the guitars are super loud. So I think in retrospect, for me, some of the production choices here are, um, my least favorite on the whole album. But I've always really loved this song, even though I have no fucking idea what it's about. I, um, I've always loved, you know, how the, this, this song just works out. And yeah. Are, are, are we hearing a, a Beatles influence here with the song? Very much so. Absolutely. 100%. Interesting. Cause I remember, uh, I haven't, Listen to it in a while, but I think there's another one off of um, here in the now frontier that DeGarmo writes that is sort of like a Beatles-esque kind of a thing. It's, it's weird that uh, I didn't know that he had. I don't remember him talking about Beatles being an influence of his, but it you know, certainly comes up. It certainly comes out in this song. Disagree. Big fail. Beatles are allowed to use major chords. Apparently, Queensrÿche is not. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's okay. Yeah, I, I think the Beatles' uh, influence is, is a good call out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's cool. Keeping going, if, if we can, I'm, I'm always fascinated by my global mind. So this is, this is where we do get a little Wilton in, in our life. And I think you can sort of feel that. Queensryche has has written songs of this nature, you know, on the last three, four albums, they've always been sort of interested in, you know, this sort of, you know, message, if you will. I think this is the most clearly stated one that they have. It's not bogged down by any sort of, unnecessarily dark or sinister overtones. I think it's very upfront. I think it's very clearly communicated. And I think it, you know, it, I, I'm not going to put it at the top of my, my favorite Queensryche tracks, but I, I like it. It works for me. Yeah. I might get, take this one off the album. I don't think you have to take one off the album here. It's short enough, but there's something about this song. It's funny because I, I, the chorus is stuck in my head all the time when I'm listening to this. Yeah. And it sort of has a fun, you know, dual guitar solo in the middle, like in a halftime, and it breaks down really cool, which I think is pretty sweet. But like, yeah, I don't need wah-wah in my Queensryche. I don't need a wah-wah pedal in, in Queensryche. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was, and, when um, this came on, I was like, when was Appetite for Destruction released? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I, and I always picture, you know, Jim, Jimbo Barton showing up at the tester echo sessions and, um, you know, Neil, Neil Peart is talking about, you know, the modern day and, you know, how everybody's connected. And he goes, yeah, it's like that song, my global mind and information age. And yeah, 
it's like it's like it's like putting your your message in a modem. They are. Oh, you didn't go there. You didn't <laughs> go there. <laughs> it's disappointing. Sorry. It's okay. I think Mike Global Mind is a lot better than that song. I mean, I, I don't know if I have yeah. a lot to add. Oh yeah, you guys didn't cover, but I. It is a lot better. You're right. I I, I really enjoy this song. I'm a sucker for big choruses when they're done right, and I think this um, it, it sort of sneaks up on you in this song. You're not really expecting this kind of a chorus, so it, it just gives it a, a, an original vibe, and this always goes down well with me. So I mean, I. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the song. Speaking of big choruses, the next song. What? 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 Oh, oh sorry. We're going to talk about know. my global mind more. Well, well yeah, we we do because I was <laughs> listening. I was I drove back from Brian tonight, which I don't normally do, but I listened to this as I was driving, and I decided to not make a statement and make a bet with myself, which I lost. Oh wow. Paul Zotter, you did not call out the China boy in my uh, global mind, uh, and I am disappointed. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> I thought for sure there was no way there could be a song with this much China boy, and you wouldn't call it out. But I was probably just distracted by the vocals and the wah-wah pedal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that being said, let's move on to one more uh, one more time. I mean... The same crew that wrote NM156 put out My Global Mind. I mean, no, just saying. <laughs> just saying. You, you already covered that so- subject in a better way. So wh- I love One More Time Around because you have this get acoustic guitar going through the whole song and the bass and the guitar, uh, second guitar, like, like, coming in with these, like, razor-sharp tones, like a buzzsaw, like, during the verses. And, and, um, and then just this giant chorus with the vocals. Um, and there's plenty of China Boy in this song as well. I mean, this is just everything that you want in the, in the 1994 mature version of, of Queensryche. Big vocals, big bass, big drums, dual guitars. Work hard in life, boy. There's paradise in the end. Year after year, we struggle to gain the happiness our parents never claimed. They told us all we had to do was do what we're told, buy what was sold, invest in gold, and never get old. That's it, boys and girls. Recipe for success. Thank you, Jeff Tate. Appreciate it. I love the song. And it's on the tip of my tongue. What's the the great... I can't believe I forgot the name of the song, but what's the last song on Empire? Anybody listening? Anyone listening. I mean, I, I don't compare it to that in the way that, it, you know, it's as good of a song, but I mean, it just, it has so much emotion to it and it's such a, a well-written song and Jeff knows how to sing a song and get emotion. He's just, he's just not a, you know, one trick pony, uh, heavy metal screamer. I mean, we've already known that. Um, but if, in case there was any, you know, question, uh, I mean, this is a, a haunting song and 
it, it's just it's a beautiful song, beautiful melody, and this, you know, mixed with the, the chorus of My Global Mind together. I mean, th- these songs really are finishing out this this album in a, in a in a huge way. And I, I when I hear these last few songs. Uh, I, I really feel that I'm listening to the best of Queensryche. And I, I I feel like I'm going to be heartbroken here in a minute when, when Paul talks about someone else. Don't um, worry. I got you. I got your back, Tom. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I'm almost, okay. So, but uh, pretending I don't know anything about what, what Paul's going to say, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say that these last few songs on this album are Queensryche in rare form. And this to me, is them going out in style. Uh, I know they have another album with Krista Garma, but, I mean, this to me is Queensryche going out in a big way, and I'm in love with this band when I hear Sight 2 of this album. And One More Time is is just right in the middle of it. And I'm in a complete love fest at this point. And um, this leaves me wanting more. This really does leave me wanting more. So I'm a big fan of the song. There are lyrical similarities. It's it's not a direct comparison, but, but there's also that sort of big swell to the chorus. I'm always thinking of Colby's last time from Ten Feet Tall. Wow. When I when I listen to this, um, nice. Again, subject matter. Yeah, fundamentally different, but it, it's that it's that idea of of you know one last time you know going around again the whole nine yeah. yards, yeah. And um, it, there there's a similar sort of emotional impact, even though again the subject matter is fundamentally different. So shout out to our good friend Colby Dransfield for nice. writing a fucking awesome song. Sure, nice. Oh, I don't want to break any hearts, and Joe, you you just. Ended on a great note there, but <laughs> but sorry, uh, James Barton, you you are no Peter Collins. I don't know what Jeff is talking about. I don't know if that's that's, that's Barton's problem or if it's Tate's problem or if it's Garmo's problem. But all this late end Queensrÿche stuff makes me think too much. Last time around, I think it's a relationship. I, I think I don't know. He's trying to rekindle uh, a, a relationship. And that I read the lyrics now, and it's something about work hard in life. No, I'm done. I'm out. I don't stop. I'm mad. You made me think. You made you, you press my buttons. You made me think. I don't know where you're going. I'm bored. But isn't that part of all of this stage of Queensrÿche, right? Like it they does it have- to everybody. Eventually, late stage Queensrÿche will burn everyone who touches <laughs> it. Well, yeah, and 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 I think. Honestly, we could we could have the discussion that that's still going on today. You know, they they had this they had this stage, and Jeff Tate's like, I've got a fucking platform. People are gonna fucking listen to me, and he got launched into orbit, and he's still up there. Hey, listen to me. <laughs> I don't know where we we have gotten where. If a song makes us think, it's a bad thing. I mean, isn't that all about Prague? I mean, like, what the fuck? I mean, what is wrong with you know, I, I, having I, to think I, about I, the song? I mean, what, what, what's wrong with there's, that? There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with, with thinking. 
for me, it's, it's how that message is delivered. And I'm, I'm feeling I'm buying a little bit of what Ken is selling, not necessarily here, but certainly, you know, going forward, I think, and like, if you look at mind crime at the more, right, same subject matter, but all of a sudden it's all about Jeff Tate. Jeff Tate invests in himself way too much. And, you know, now it manifests itself in the, the weird sort of mini goatee and just the whole fucking thing is, is too <laughs> far out there. The smoking jacket, the, the, the stupid saxophone, you know, and that's why I say it's, it's, it's like he gets launched into orbit. He's on the rocket booster right now and he's going up and that's great, but he never comes back down to earth and that becomes a problem. It's it's not quite a, a, a the same analogy, but if we're going to talk about songs that are supposed to make you think but come across as overblown and preachy, I will. We've already we've already evoked it today. I'm going to point the finger at you, John Anderson, and don't kill the whale. Oh come on! I mean, at wow. least at, at least a whale is a, a tangible mammal uh, don't kill if you're gonna if you want to argue with me that don't kill the whale is a better song than one more time yeah let's go yeah yes. let's go <laughs> i i can dance to don't kill the whale i mean well <laughs> wait m more importantly it, 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 is, is our friendship and, and and tom i know where you're coming from with this because there are some really beautiful elements here that draw me in and, and 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 it's worth it to think for Queensrÿche. It's, it's it's worth it to think for this podcast. It's worth it to think for you. But I I stop. I take a look. I think. I look at the lyrics, and it still doesn't come together smoothly or in the right way. Or, or you know, some of these later stage Jeff messages just really leave you hanging. Yeah. See, I I, I like I like the message here personally, but that's me. Not I'm not sure what the message is is or supposed to be, but the thing that I love about it is that you know through this whole album, it's it's been this introspective. It's been about self this rediscovery, really, right? And there's this overtone of, hey, we made it to the promised land, and it wasn't what we thought it was going to be, right? Our lives are kind of fucked up, and everything we thought was going to happen has been is different. Like you get to that place, and it's not what you expected. We've all and, been there. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and it's a, it's a bit of a rebellious attitude, but at the heart of it all, he's saying, man, I just want another shot. That's all I want. It, exactly. I, he's saying I, that. I, I fucking and, dig that. Exactly. Sorry to interrupt, Paul, but yeah, he is saying that. And I want to add that Krista Garmo calls this album the stepping back into the shadows album where there is a lot of darkness in in their lives, and one more time around is is having that one more shot, and you know wanting that one more, wanting that you know second chance to to do things right. So I mean, call me a romantic fool, but I I, I I'm sort of drawn in by this, and I yeah. think it's a great way to finish this the album. And not they're not totally finished here, but um, I mean I think it's it sort of puts a a nice um, bookend to to the uh, being in the shadows 
because there's this is a much darker album than than Empire and, and as we discussed, there's been a lot of personal turmoil in the band and whatnot and, and um just the whole theme of Promised Land and the whole, you know, breakdown of the American dream about, you know, not things not working out the way you thought. When you have one more time around, there's a lot of things that could evoke some some visuals here. Uh, it could be their personal lives happening. It could be the story of Promised Land. You know, it could be a, a lot of the different things. It sort of like puts an umbrella over a bunch of the topics. So I mean, I, I don't know if I mean even if we asked, even if we asked the Garmin Tate, okay, what's the song about? I don't know if there'd be a specific thing. I don't think this is about a heartbreak. I, I don't, or, or, or some relationship gone wrong or, or, or anything in particular. I think this is more of an umbrella to the whole album. I like it. Shall we move on then to, uh, to finish out the album with someone else? Uh, yes. Paul, you teased yeah. at, at the, at the top of the, this segment uh, that uh, this was, you had a differing opinion. I'm guessing. That Ken probably is not too far from your opinion. If I had to uh, place a wager, which on my screen puts the left-hand side of the screen versus the right-hand wow. screen, because I happen to think that this song is absolutely delightful. Okay, well let me let me say this: take take I, a big crap on it. I think I I, I may have oversold. The shitting on the song part. Oh, I, here I, we go again. I think I think the song is is it's a it's a great song. The sentiment is it might be a little overkill. Like may, maybe we didn't need you know another version of 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 that that song. But I do love the lyrics. I love the passionate delivery. I do not like the Elton John version. Of Queen's right, not one bit, really, okay. not one bit, like take the fucking piano and blow it up <laughs> and and Tom, you said it in the chat the other day the the full band version of someone else yes, that's what i that's what I want. I don't know if i would I don't know if the full band version, and I'm going to say that I, I don't think that the full band version may have been completely realized when they decided to go piano wise, but I like the full band version of the song so much better than the Elton John version. There's just no need for it. No need for Chris DeGarmo to do his best Elton John on the piano and have Jeff Tate wail. And, and it, it so much smacks like an afterthought. Because, I mean, we've, we've heard it in so many, we've heard it in just in this album. We've heard it with Lady Jane. We've heard it with Out of Mind, right? And at these delicate moments, Jeff Tate doesn't sing the way he sings in someone else's, right? He, he wouldn't sing the chorus the way he sings it if it was just piano. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. And it just drives me nuts every time I hear it. I can't take it. I personally revel in that dichotomy, actually. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I, I, you know, and, you know, we can talk about sophistication of palettes and everything else. I, I, there's something about Jeff kind of 
shredding his throat out and putting that much out there on top of nothing but a piano that is different, and I like it. When I get to this part of the album, I have gotten in the habit of listening to the song and letting it go. I mean, you know how we all feel about, you know, bonus tracks. A lot of bonus tracks we just, you know, wish never existed. But, you know, as it, you know, turned out, you know, you in a day and age where, you know, there's bonus tracks on everything, I just sort of let it go. And I'm glad that I listened to the full band version because while I don't disagree with you, Paul, about the full band version, uh, I, I do enjoy that as well. Uh, and I do, I, I really like hearing Queensryche play the song. And there is something to be said for the, the whole band playing, playing this. And I, I enjoy it, but it's so strange. I have this whole inner dialogue when I listen to the song about like what the band was talking about when they decided to put just the, the scale down, as you call it, the Elton John version on it. And I, I, I just, I have a whole conversation that the band might have had. Like, okay, half the band wanted the full version. The other half band wanted the, the Elton John version. And, and why does this work? And why does this not work? And I sort of, I can never not have this discussion in my head when I hear this. And I always come to, at the end of every one of these conversations in my head, I come to the realization that, I agree with the fact that they put this version somewhere else on it because there's just something emotionally there with this performance that I feel. I feel that this is a gut-wrenching performance from Jeff. And just hearing him scale down with, uh, without anything else I mean, Lord knows there's enough reverb on it, but I mean, scale down what I mean with, with just, you know, piano, um, I think has uh, a, a profound emotional impact, um, just having Jeff and the piano. And A, it gives us something we haven't heard before in Queensryche. And, and, and B, I just, I just think there's, there's something uh, about this song that, that calls for just a, a piano. And I think that the fact that they, they did a full band song, I don't think they were, you know, aiming for some sort of schlocky power ballad 80s thing. I don't, I, I think that, uh, you know, the full band version gives us something unique. I think, I just think that the scaled down version gives more emotion to what the song is about. And you just hear all the grittiness of the Jeff's performance and the emotion really comes out and I just I, I've almost gotten into accidents many times driving down the road hearing this because I'm just like a freaking giddy girl who you know just just heartbroken here when I'm it, when I'm listening to this so um it's funny you say giddy girl is it is it partly because the very end is like so journey-esque it's 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 like the Ooh, final them's Them's fighting words right no, there. The, hey, I'm the a big, final, the final I'm a big cadence. Steve Perry fan. It's not fighting words to me. It's a I'm, I, I, I'm a, I'm I'm a big Journey fan, but that final cadence is like a direct lift off of Faithfully. I think. I, I yeah. Let's not. I, I did. I can't even deal with this conversation. <laughs> Tom, I'm, I'm curious. In when you picture this 
this uh, conversation in your mind. In your mind, who carries the day in in getting this version on the album? Is it Chris or is it Jeff? Uh, clearly Jeff. I mean, clearly Jeff wants this version on it. And I, I think Chris also fought for it to be on the album. I think the other three guys, you know, fought to have the whole band on it. And, you know, they're all, they're all right. I mean, they're all, I mean, God bless them all because this is a freaking amazing song and both versions are incredible. And this is, um, something Queensryche has never done. And, you know, this to me is Queensryche's, you know, last song. And, and, and they, and, and they go out in a big way, even if it's just a piano and Jeff. Sure. I mean, so, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I feel so strongly about these last few songs. Um, I, I feel like you can really close out a chapter here. And I'm glad that we're closing out the chapter after this album. Um, because nothing compares to any of this stuff after this. So I, I guess, Ken, when you say, you know, late era Queen's right, I mean, to me, this isn't late era Queen's right. This is still early era Queen's right. I mean, if you're talking about, Late era Queensryche being schlocky, I, I would agree with you. There's a lot of stuff that I, I can't sit through. So I mean, I, but when you're talking about these songs, I mean, I I I think that we're on a a different level as far as the sort of barometer that we're on with with, with Queensryche, and I, I think that um, this is this is Queensryche at its best. I mean, it might be a controversial statement, being that they've had so many great albums. You know, you're, you're talking about Operation Mindcrime. To compare these songs to Operation Minecraft might be sacrilegious, but I think there's, there's still, um, certainly these last I, I, two songs are, are, um, you know, Queensryche at its best. So I'm, I'm just, uh, loving the way this side two ends. A lot in there. I'm a terrible podcast host and Queensryche fan in that I'm pretty sure I have never actually listened to the full band version. So the question, I just have one question with regards to that. Is it the same vocal track or is it all redone? I, I think it's, it's a different vocal track. Um, okay. It's pretty close. I mean, it's not day and night, but I, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm under the impression it's not the same vocal track or it's, it's not, it is the same vocal track. It's, diff- it's mixed differently. It is okay. a single vocal track. I think there's a lot of doubling and extra stuff on the um, on the original. I, I was just curious. Hmm. I, I'll have to I'll have to listen to that. But I, yeah, I have the not affect, had the, it, the affect is different. But I okay. think it's the same track. I, and and I asked that question. If you think back to the story that was told around Silent Lucidity, in that. They recorded that before the orchestration got added in. It was added in afterwards, and no one knew what that was going to be. I wonder if if this was the same sort of thing where they recorded everything and they took everything out, or you know how that came about. I'm I'm just I'm curious. I don't know the answer. I don't know that we have the ability to find the answer. Yeah. But there you go. I think they were just sitting around towards the end of the of the mixing, and they just weren't as satisfied with the full band version and and Jeff looked at Chris and said hey Chris why don't why don't you go on in there and uh Elton John this bitch and see if we can we can see save it 
Elton they, and, John, this and they bitch. did, and they did. I, I mean, I, I would, I would propose this is this is credited wholly to DeGarmo. I would propose that this is the way Chris brought it to the band. As Tom has pointed out, this effectively brings us to the end of what we are considering the main sequence in Queensryche. You know, I, I, I'm with you, Tom, in that I kind of view this as the end of Queensryche. I know, you know, we're going to have an episode perhaps next week where we talk about sporadic things throughout the rest of the Queensryche career. And obviously, you know, there are, you know, different branches of the tree that are still ongoing and, and everything else. But for me, as a, as a true invested Queensryche fan, this is the end. I think it's interesting when we talk about the albums that we have, have covered. Um, you know, maybe not so much the, the EP, but certainly from the warning through rage, Operation Mindcrime, Empire and Promised Land. Each one of those records has a distinct personality to it, which is absolutely delightful. Um, you really don't ever have part two of something. You always get some sort of, of movement or, or evolution throughout that. And I think it's, it's a, it's, it's a spectacular run of, of albums. Paul, you made the comment that, you know, this is probably the, the strongest number four album on any band's list. I would say their, their top five are, you know, can be put up against any band's top five. Yeah. Um, you know, along those same lines. And, you know, you have the ability of sort of adapting how you feel that day, right? Some days you're, yeah. you're in a warning mood. Some days you're in a mind crime mood. Some, you know, it's, it's absolutely spectacular the way that this band was able to do it. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it. I think, you know, we could make the argument and other people certainly have that after this, you know, they jumped the shark. They, and, and we've, we've touched already. You know, you can see some of the, the, the threads fraying here. Some things are going a little bit too far in one direction. We, you know, we, we talked about the external forces that they're going to sort of react to in a way. And, and you can have a conversation about why that is, but I don't want to get bogged down in that. I want to revel in the beauty that is this album and the absolute fantasticness that is this string of five albums put together from a band with exceptional talent that played a huge role in, in our youth. And I just, I love them for this segment of albums. Amen, brother. Yeah, here, here. And we actually managed to do an album in a single episode. <laughs> there you go. There nice. you go. Bravo, so, gentlemen. And and fair warning, I may be a here in the now frontier apologist in the best of the rest episode. Oh. Um but we'll see. Yeah, I, I encourage everyone to um I know Ken, you said you listened to it a few times. American Soldier mm. is on a different level than it's great. host. Uh, other post Degarma albums, and I've really grown to respect that album um, in a certain way that I, I can't really do with the other post Degarma stuff. So I, I, I 
definitely I, I, I recommend everyone give that a listen. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've given that a couple spins and I uh I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about that one. Joe, when you go back and listen to the full band version of someone else, treat yourself to another bonus track on there called The Real World. Mm-hmm. Uh which was from a a movie, I think The Last Action Hero. It was yes. the, was the movie. It was Last um, Action Hero, yes. Yeah. So that's a fun that's a fun track as well. Um I, I'm actually you know, as much as I love the someone else version, the full band version, I think I actually like the real world version, even live. Um it's it's kind of it's kind of fun. I, I think I kinda of like that one um better than that song. But uh yeah, I you know, it's it's amazing. You said it, Joe, it's been such an impact on our lives and I, I sort of feel bad that I poo-pooed their the last song on the last album that we're talking about. But you know, that's maybe I'm just pissed off that, you know, this is the end. I don't know. Ken, you have come up with the best, you know, a brief description of the palaver in that it's our attempt to recreate high school study hall. And so it has been an absolute joy to literally do that with these records. Um because I do I do remember you know, our senior year, just spending a lot of time in school talking about Queensryche. Absolutely spectacular. And I've really, you know, have we gone a little self-indulgent in this? Yes. Yes, we have. Do I regret that? Not an ounce. (laughs) Fuck. I, th- um, I think we'll all be regretting it a little bit when we're editing these down. <laughs> well, yeah, th- there's 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 definitely that, but it, it's it's all good. So, uh, again, as we sort of teased, I think next episode we'll do uh, you know a, just a, a sporadic best of the rest, whatever sort of leaps out at us throughout the rest of the catalog, and then we'll move on to to other things. But, gentlemen, this has been an absolute and utter joy. Um, I appreciate. You know, you guys coming along for the ride as always and providing just spectacular insight into these, into these songs. So look forward to the next episode and, and moving on from there. So thanks guys. enjoyed this episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and we look forward to your thoughts comments feedback and questions you can reach us on facebook twitter or instagram we are at prog paula on all of those or search for progressive palaver you're welcome to email us our email address is prog paula that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a at gmail.com progressive palaver is available for subscription and download on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify pandora or presumably wherever you find your podcasts and we are as always hosted on soundcloud so until next time thanks for listening